Welcome back to another episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Today we have Tristan and Dan from Accenture. How you doing, guys? How's everything going? What's up? And uh, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourselves and why you're here? Hey, hey, gentlemen. Tristan, hey, Tristan Morlorset here uh, with with Accenture. Um, I'm part of our plan first. Yeah. By the way, thanks for not making me not pronounce that. Thank you. You're you're welcome. Um, I seek to be known only as Tristan because it's just too complicated uh, to say my last name. My, my even my wife says that. Um, <laughs> so thanks for hosting us, guys. Really, uh, it's been we've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, we're we're both Dan and I are are part of Accenture. I'm within our cloud first organization about uh, helping our clients. You know. Navigate this this uh, acceleration of cloud. Um, I and we'll talk a little bit more about that. I got into this uh, by accident, actually. I, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I went to the Air Force Academy. I wanted to fly, and I, I couldn't fly because of my eyesight. And so, you know, the people that can't, then you get your pick of uh, pick communications. And so, I learned comm and IT, and one thing led to another. And then I was in infrastructure before it was cool, and now it's become cloud and cloud is very cool because it's way more than technology. So we'll talk a little bit more about that and the barriers to it, but super excited to be here, guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, definitely. And Dan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So uh, unlike Madonna, Tristan and Prince, I have two names. So it's Dan Mellon. Uh, <laughs> so, so based in Houston um, and I look on infrastructure security for Accenture. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a cross between you know, talking about the kinds of offerings and capabilities we take to the market to our clients um, and then managing a practice and managing all of our delivery engagements in the space. So super happy to be here. That's, That's great. Awesome. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a very organic cold open for anyone who thought that joke was planned. That was an excellent joke. Uh, <laughs> maybe one of the best ones we've had on the show. So help, help, um, so help the listeners kind of appreciate um, what Accenture does. Because you know, I actually began my career at Cognizant, which um, in some ways competes with Accenture. And I think there's two schools of thoughts. There's either a bunch of guys running around in a suit telling you that you're making bad business decisions, or there's a bunch of resourcing uh, sort of talent acquisition, if you will. So obviously, I think you guys represent a part of the organization that maybe does a little bit of that. But help us understand what Accenture actually does in the space that's maybe different from what a lot of people think of as quote unquote consulting firms. And before you answer that, let me tell you that my sister worked for Anderson Consulting. Oh, there you go. Right. Yeah, so we have experience here. We're jaded. We're, we're, we feel gypped by, by our previous experiences. So help yeah. us understand. That's 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 a great question. Um, we it, it's hard to compare truly Accenture with other competition because of the breadth of our of our offerings and capabilities. We go everything from you know strategy to technology to business process outsourcing, and so we don't necessarily try to brand ourselves as one or the other of, of these businesses. We really try to help our clients' business problem through the application of technology um, and looking at how do you truly solve their comprehensive business problems. And to do that, you need a variety of, of capabilities. You need capabilities, obviously, within technology for implementation, for operations, et cetera. But more importantly, when, when we think of technology and particularly cloud, which is areas that Dan and I are, are, are passionate about, you have to surround it with 
the customer design experience. And that's why we have Accenture Interactive. You have to design it with how do you align to the true business objective and revenue growth? And this is where we have our consulting and our strategy arm. So we really have the full breadth of capabilities to accompany the client's business journey powered by technology and human ingenuity. Um, so uh, I hope we're, we're different than your prior employer, whom I shall not name, Andrew, um, and, uh, and, and more comprehensive because in this world, particularly in the post-pandemic era, um, clients really need to accelerate their transformation, right? They've, they've, they've figured out and, and identified that technology is becoming this, this differentiator, that every business is a technology business, and how do you harness it um, with a comprehensive set of capabilities? And that's where we think we're pretty good at. So it's not like, hey, uh, what do you want to do? Get somebody, get somebody, get somebody to do that. Yes, <laughs> it's not that. It's uh, you guys actually know what you're doing, which is a little bit of uh, because cloud is such a new topic, you know, relatively new compared to some of the other uh, topics out there. So I think it's, um, you know, it's interesting when you tackle this kind of arena because there's not honestly there's relatively few companies that are that are kind of have taken this by the horn and said, hey, we're going to focus on cloud consultancy, you know, which is surprising because it's it's such a, you know, uh, new and fresh and up and coming area, especially the different, and there's so many areas in it. So, you know, obviously, Dan, you've, you focus on security. I just did a conference yesterday or the day before on SREs. So, you know, that's that's another section of, you know, what, how do you, you know, how do you handle it from a site reliability engineer? So these are all there. There's so many different kind of genres or classifications of these things, you know, so it's so it's interesting to see how you guys have, have taken it on. And it's, it's actually, you know, I'm getting around to a question here. Um, it's it would be interesting to see what your take is on how you kind of approach your customers or, or people out there, because you know, everybody's on a different part of their journey. So what are you seeing out there? And, and you know, how do you, what's your general tact to, to kind of approach these people that are kind of consulting? Well, I was long-winded. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great long-winded question. I think you were trying to figure out the question as, as, as you were talking. That was almost, you know, that was almost like another person from New Jersey when I give a speech and you're trying to get to a point there. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think I, I think what Mike is highlighting is is cloud is huge. So like how it how is. do you guys go about helping customers identify what they need to focus on? You know, Dan's here covering that security sector. But, you know, what what sort of things is this like, are you does a customer have a business problem that they come to you with or are you kind of engaging and poking and prodding at these you know chinks in the armor, so to speak? Um, yeah, know. it's uh, I mean, what, what a fascinating year now since the beginning of the pandemic. Um, now, cloud started before the pandemic, obviously, and we've been very focused on cloud and and figuring out and understanding, bringing all the capabilities to clients. But the pandemic has fundamentally forced clients to accelerate. So we, we saw, you know, let's call it uh, three or so type of, of, um, of requests coming out initially, right, at when the pandemic happened. Can you help me increase my system resiliency, right? My systems are now under load, everybody's working from home. How do I sort that out? Um, then clients quickly moved and said, okay, we have, I need to react to these market changes. 
Um, and I need to react very, very quickly. We had a client, a hospital in Madrid that needed to deal with the influx of patients and they didn't have humans to answer the phone. And so because of cloud technologies, in this case, it was a Microsoft Azure, they were, we helped them create chatbots so that patients could check in and they could augment how many people they could deal with and triage before they came into to the hospital. So that's um, how do you react to market changes? And then now they're realizing that this is important. And so they're coming to us and saying, how do I take a step back and truly differentiate myself and disrupt within the industry? Um, I was on with a, a, a pharmaceutical client uh, recently who explained that when um, when the CDC is openly approved um, the Pfizer vaccine for the 12 to 15 year olds, they were able to deploy within their scheduling system within minutes, right? And that's because they were enabled by a cloud platform. And so they're asking us, how do you do you know, all of these? So clients broadly are taking a much more comprehensive approach to cloud around how do I disrupt and how do I set myself apart from the industry using technology, et cetera. And so what's really interesting is when we not only talk to clients, but our, our research is you have, let's call it three core barriers to cloud. One, lack of skills. Clients don't have the skills and they don't have the skills technically or from a design perspective, right? How do I design an application that a, 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 an end user can naturally leverage. I would um, almost add finance to that too, right? Financially, we've seen a lot of customers try to go to the cloud, realize, oh shit, this costs a lot of money. I don't want to do this anymore. And they retreat almost immediately. So it's not just technical. It's not just design. It's also finances. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I'd argue, I'll argue with that, that's, that it could be part architectural because they're going to the oh, cloud with, exactly. with this mindset that it's going to be the same. And really, if you don't design it for cloud, then you're going to spend a lot of money. Couldn't agree more. Hundred <laughs> percent. And what, what you're outlining is you have you have um, entities, people, companies that are moving to cloud but aren't changing anything else, right? They're just truly treating the cloud as a data center in the sky, and that's not where the value is, right? Um, and so, you know, the second area, which Dan will will talk about our research in this space, is around security and compliance. Do you still today? have clients that believe they can't go to cloud because it's less secure. And and we have a different viewpoint that if you actually deploy in the cloud properly, it can be more secure because you're getting better visibility. This right? is a common theme that we're going to have on our episodes. I think uh, yeah. the last recording we did was with a security consultant who that was the same thing. So I would I would love to have Dan add to that sort of story uh, once you, you go through that third use case. Yeah. Perfect. And the third is actually three and four because they're the same. There's about 40% of the client that say that uh, they're stuck with legacy infrastructure and application sprawl. So they have to deal with that and fundamentally misalignment between IT and, and the business. Um, you know, the business is going one direction, IT is going another direction or not being responsive enough. And if you can enable IT with cloud to be a driver of innovation, because, I mean, fundamentally, if you peel all this back, cloud is about innovation. Once you're there, you can innovate all the time. Now, IT has an opportunity to change and position itself as an innovator to the business. And when you have that alignment, it can be truly differentiator. So those are the barriers that we see, obviously, the barriers that we try to solve. Um, 
but it's 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 fascinating. And the final part of the study that um, may be relevant, there's a direct correlation between how much clients are in the cloud and the value that they get in the cloud. If clients just tiptoe in the cloud, it's just it's hard to really get the value out of it when they go at scale. And that's the acceleration we've seen in the past 12 months. And I think we're going to continue to see the value becomes tremendous. Yeah. So um, so it's that's what we've been seeing in the past 12 months. And I think it's a fascinating, fast moving, by the way, industry and change. And I'm fa- and I'm really excited about that innovation that the hyperscalers and the cloud providers are going to bring that we as as cloud service provider can bring to our to our clients. Yeah, it's interesting because I was talking to um, one of our episodes, the, the um, CEO of Netlify, which is, you know, he created Jamstack and a bunch of other, um, you know, technologies that are used to bring people online along with the CDN to do that. And it's, it's, a, it's a pretty popular solution set now. And, you know, his view was that the... Um, you know, it, there's a different care, and this is true, and I, I kind of find this true too, is that there's a different person that is the app developer, uh, DevOps, you know, they care about the application, they care about, you know, APIs, they care about whether you have, um, you know, whether this can be, uh, you know, across regions and things like that, that's high availability, but they don't care about the underlying infrastructure. They just assume that's all there. So they're, they want to make sure that application is easy to use, easy to deploy, agile, and they can, they can kind of, you know, use those features and get those features out there as fast as possible. So then you have the IT folks that, you know, could be like, uh, well, we have to put governance around this and we want to make sure that you're deploying. And, you know, so that some of the traditional IT folks want to do tickets and all this other kind of stuff instead of making this more of an agile process. And so, you know, to me... The harder part of of all of this is kind of the the uh, you know the personalities and the kind of politics more than the actual technology. I think that's the harder thing to kind of solve for uh, in, in a lot of this. I mean, what do you guys see? Yeah, and so I agree, and I'll push back a little bit on the on the developer example because I think one of the things we're seeing is there's an operating model change that has to occur when you're going through this, and in some cases there's organizational changes that accompany that. But when I think about the developer function, and and selfishly, I'll I'll talk about security. Sure. Um, the distribution of the security function to you know way broader used to be, and so it as as frictionless and as fast as you can include security in the agile DevOps process, the, the better you're going to be. It, I think there's a healthy friction um, with security and with the development, um, the development motion, so that you know the developers understand what they're doing. They're they're implementing things that are secure, or they're getting feedback that what they're implementing isn't secure. Um, but I, I think fundamentally, there's there's an or, there's an operating model change that that facilitates that. So. You know, so are you I, implying that security should get in the way of the app developer? Because that is, that's just you know, sacrilegious, right? I, I mean, know. <laughs> I will tell you a crazy story about a very large financial institution. They took their entire development function, their development organization, and rolled it up underneath application security. Wow. wow. So you, <laughs> yeah, you talk about, so that's the organization change that, that, that parallels their operating model change and you talk about behavior change as a part of that reporting 
up to somebody has, you know, direct explicit concerns and metrics around, you know, the security of the code that you're producing, the financial organization is products that go out to customers. I mean, it's, it's huge. And it was a super radical change and it was extremely effective. But to, to, you know, almost to, um, you know, uh, what I want to say is a lot of new technologies are around that now. So it's not like you're using those old technologies to try and, you know, put cloud native stuff out there because now you have things like application gateways that can scan. You have things that can scan the code beforehand and kind of give you security around your Kubernetes clusters and things like that. So there's a lot of tools you can implement, but obviously you need process first. Process kind of comes first. But uh, what, what I see is kind of still, and I see it to this day, is kind of this, um, uh, you know, when you go into companies, you see some people are, who are very keen to, to put all this into place and they really want to do what's new and what's cool and things like that. But then you have a lot of people that have been like, okay, I've been here for 20 years. I don't really want to learn this new technology. I'm going to be gone in three years, you know, whatever it is. And they kind of like the old way of doing things. So what I see is a lot of politics that kind of get in the way from the top that has to push this down. Because if it's not, then you're just going to have too much uh, dissuasion, you know, in in the ranks there. Yeah. How much, of, then, how much do you guys feel like it's technology versus it's politics, right? Or, or talent rather, you know, I, I think we've touched upon multiple different challenges. So yeah. I mean, wh- where are you guys seeing most of your work needing to be done at the get go? Uh, so right now, I think the answer for the past 12 months has been extremely clear. It's, it's become a CEO on a board level agenda. So I think in the past you're hundred percent right. There was a tremendous amount of friction. The business, the business didn't care, okay? Whether I have a, a application in your private cloud or in the public cloud, they didn't understand the, necessarily the difference because they didn't understand the value. And right now, in, in fact, if you look at our Accenture, our own CEO, Julie Sweet, is personally driving the cloud agenda for Accenture, and she is having C-level discussions with the CEOs of the, the, the three hyperscalers with our client CEOs, because our clients are now seeing it's a board level imperative as the and everything's moved. And, and the pandemic has forced, has become the forcing function to remove the, the, some of the barriers of people not wanting to rescale. Look, there's no choice now. We have to be able to scale. We have to be able to turn things off too, by the way, right? We've had some clients and, you know, the, the hotel industry or reservation systems that weren't being used and they had to shrink their IT down. And you can't do that if you have a private a, a, a data center. And now that people have to, clients have to access consumers directly wherever they are on their digital device, they're having to have cloud-enabled platforms. So it is truly becoming a CEO and board level discussion, which now is removing a lot of the politics, right? When you have a CEO that mandates, we are going to go to cloud, and we're seeing these announcements every week, right? There's there's announcement, one of the hyperscalers is teaming up with such and such company. Um, it removes a lot of the politics, and, and it enables IT. Now, IT then has to say, I'm either going to embrace it, become, retrain my, my, my team, right? Become SREs, become cloud-native developers, embed security within it, um, have design functions. So talent in cloud isn't just the technology. You mentioned process. Uh, um, Michael, and design, right? How do you design the application for the 
end user. Clients are now hiring designers to design applications that are more relevant to their consumers. So I think the politics was something in the past and we're seeing the leaders from the laggards in the industry are those that are going all in on cloud and that are making it a C-level and board level um, decision and action. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And you know what, I, I, this is my opinion, but I think that the people that are on that now, it's, this isn't gonna change after COVID. I think that people it's are gonna not. remain on this path because they see how it works and they're kind of now engaged and more and more people are gonna do that. I think the way we interact online, the way that we use things, the way that we kind of function, you know, in business is changed forever now. I don't think that it's going to go back to the way it was pre-COVID. That, that brings yeah. a, good, a, a good point, Dan. I, I'm kind of curious your perspective because obviously when COVID start, started, uh, or rather before it started, there was a big, big pushback about using public cloud. It's not secure. Um, it's, you know, we've got data governance policies, et cetera, you know, and then the pandemic happened and suddenly it was either we scale the business uh, or, and, and we, we have to scale the business at the expense of maybe some of these previous security policies that we, we had defined. So I'm kind of curious, can you touch upon what those policies might've been and how the pandemic might've impacted them? Because I know, for example, like I think telemedicine was a good example where, uh, there was a lot of regulation about what you could and couldn't do. HIPAA, you know, was very strict, et cetera. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I haven't been able to go to the doctor for the last, uh, you know, 15 months. So it's all telemedicine. So what sort of challenges existed and what did the pandemic highlight that now people are kind of just like, oh, we're shutting this dead weight and we're going to go all in on cloud? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of different layers we could look at. So so telemedicine doc stuff is is a, is a great example. I think it's up six something like six hundred percent. Heard our CTO talking about it um, yesterday or the day before. We're in the wrong business, boys. Well, you guys actually might be in the right business. We're definitely in the wrong business, but. <laughs> um, but I think some of it ties back to. When Tristan was talking about, right? So Accenture is the largest creative services company in the world, which is really kind of bizarre for, you know, a management IT consulting firm. And and we started buying these creative services companies, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And I was like, it doesn't really make sense. I I like the cool idea of the design thinking and all the forum stuff where you go into a room with Play-Doh and cardboard and you come out with some great application. But it isn't until you start tying all the downstream things to that. So as, with a Teladoc app, right? Instantly, people are, are rushing to this platform to use it. You know, how are they persisting um, PHI information? And and it probably wasn't. You know, they would have exceptions for this before. So um, PHI stored in a doctor's notes field that's open text, right? How do you secure that? How do you discover that? So so the policies and the exceptions I think that were in place before when usage wasn't at the scale it is today are the kinds of things that security organizations made risk-based decisions around and just let go. And now that that is starting to accumulate, you're looking at, you know, I might have 40 million patient records now, and that might translate to 40 million times X instances of potential PHI that then translates to a liability for that organization in the billions or trillions of dollars from data exfiltration and fines and penalties and all that standpoint. So, you know, there are a number of, since we're talking about health, there have been a number of healthcare organizations that we've been working with to, you know, very rapidly discover that in the data, help put safeguards in place, whether it's tokenization or obfuscation or encryption or what have you. 
um, to be able to get those things in line. The, the other, and just, I'll just quickly talk about it, I think is this process. So if you think about, about what you would do for loss prevention standpoint, you might have DOP agents on, on different endpoints. If I'm shutting down an entire dev and staging environment every night because it's not being used, those things aren't reporting. So now I'm getting alerts in my SOC that these guys are chasing that don't, they're, they're basically false positives. Or similarly, there's a vulnerability that's identified from a from an IP address that then gets a ticket generated in ServiceNow that then goes to a SecOps person. They go pull up that IP address and it's already been decommissioned and reattached to some other instance of patched. So then security is losing credibility, right? So some of that process stuff has to change. The automation can insert into those kinds of life cycles. Like we talked about at the beginning, way more effective and efficient in cloud than we'd ever do on-prem. So th those are some of the things, Andrew, I've seen in, in, in terms it's of- It's funny, you highlighted, in, in my mind, you know, we won't, we'll avoid this topic as much as possible, but you know, you've got the vaccine and the way it went through all its approvals, right? And a lot of people look at that and they're like, oh my God, like I can't believe they approved it so quickly. And then reality, what happened is they took all this red tape and they just cut it up with scissors and they said, no, we're gonna fast track this as much as possible. We're gonna do as much as we can in parallel, et cetera. And I feel like you almost see a copy of that in the security realm of things when it comes to moving to public cloud. It's like, as soon as like, I can't get on a WebEx and do the, the thing, you know, have a business meeting or, uh, you know, my, my automation platform isn't scaling, et cetera, because I don't have access to the data center to add in more compute. Suddenly, you know, a lot of those, those rules that you had, they seem really stupid, right? Quite honestly. And you're just like, why don't we get rid of this, you know, and, 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 and try to speed up the process. So you kind of see a little bit of the same thing going on in the IT world, which I find to be very interesting. Yeah, totally. I, I think it may be Tristan's quote that the turkey never votes for Thanksgiving. And it's kind of that old school instructor, that old school security mindset that it's, it's totally being um, you know, it's totally being removed from from the, the cloud. We're getting some real gems out of this episode. I've never heard that. Before. I'm gonna. That, I will. I will uh, use and abuse that terminology for like the next couple of months here. So, great. That's what I'm gonna be hearing every day now. You know, <laughs> to go back to the to the healthcare though, I, you know, I still don't think it's gone far enough with the, with the security because my dream in healthcare is that, and I, and I wanted to create a company that does this, is that every single phone has a secure area with all your information. So I don't have to fill out those goddamn forms every single time I go to a different doctor or every single time they go to, to a different uh, you know, system. I just have it in my phone. I say, here, scan this. And it does all that for you. Why aren't we there yet? Is there regulations around that? Like because, why? Because Apple hasn't done it. Let's be honest. <laughs> iOS will introduce a way for you to export your your health information. Can I link to Epic or link to you know whatever it is? <laughs> just get this done. You know why? Why am I? Why are we still here? I feel like we're so behind. But you know, I think it's getting better. So when, I I totally agree with you on the problem, but I do think it's getting better because now everybody's starting to use technology more, and so I do think consumers there is this they're now demanding it. They're now expecting it. They are absolutely expecting that when I make my reservation at, you know, a healthcare um, X company that you've now have my information and I don't have to fill these forms. And, and the pandemic has accelerated some of this, even as simple as, well, we don't want patients that are in a hospital to actually write things down or with telehealth, since you can't write it down, it's forcing, to, to do it. So we're far from perfect. And that, you know, I've had to fill out a couple of forms myself recently, but I feel like it's getting better because 
not only are big clients leveraging technology, but I think there's now this expectation that I'm using a digital app, I'm changing the way I'm consuming services, and people are demanding it. So I think this is, which is a, a, a virtuous circle, right? Because now consumers are demanding it, now companies are investing more in it. So we're going to see this acceleration. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it. The, What's interesting is that, you know, when I think about like my own psychosis or whatever it is, if there is a, like even a restaurant that doesn't have like order online, I get pissed off that I have to call them. I won't even do it half the time. Just I, don't <laughs> I get, I'm, I'm <laughs> with you. My, my life changed. My life changed a month ago. I have to tell you guys, um, I discovered that Uber Eats delivers Starbucks. Wow. And, <laughs> and that has changed my life ever since. But, I thought you were more glowing since the last time we talked. Yeah. Last <laughs> right. I, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and, but it's another aspect of, of technology because now I, as a consumer, Hey, what else can I get from my app? And, and it's totally changing everybody's behavior. My, my own included powered by cloud. Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree with that. And, you know, it's funny because I think about things like when I'm on the road, you know, I happen to have, you know, a nice electric car and I, uh, you know, it routes me, you know, it still has GPS, you know, like it did before, but how come I can't click on it where I am if there's a, uh, you know, if there's a, a obstruction and it would reroute me like little things like that. Like, why are people doing this stuff already? You know, I still think we have. And the re reason I'm saying this, I still think we have a long way to go. So we're getting there. I think adoption is getting to be bigger, but I think there's so much more we can do. And it's just like, to me, everything should be connect connected. Everything should be context aware. And if you don't have to put information, don't do it. <laughs> you know, it should be able to grab That's from right. whatever you you know, so that's that's the way I think, and you know, maybe everybody doesn't think that way. Maybe it's just my crazy mind, but I don't want to. Have uh, this is another episode of uh, <laughs> "This Grinds My Gears" by Mike yes, Dennis, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Um, so, so Mike will make fun of me because I'm always the uh, the mom in this relationship, and I'll bring us back on track. So, I want to I want to go back to kind of the top of the hour. Where we were talking about talent, and you know, we had made a couple of jabs at you know a center's expense about being a, a consulting company. So, how do you guys? You know, how are you engaging with um, the the CEO and board level executives to talk about, you know, this is where we think you should invest in talent, right? Um, you know, training your users, uh, expanding out their capabilities, et cetera. And this is where we think that we, Accenture, can really help with the consulting and the value add that might get you to that next level, right? Because I think that's always a challenge is, you know, as technologists, Mike and I will end up talking to a customer where there is a consultant involved. And there's always that struggle getting them to the next step or the, the consultant kind of pushed them over the edge and now they're stuck there hanging because they're kind of stuck in between two different worlds. So how are you guys managing that in cloud? Because I think the last thing you want to see happen is you still got this legacy data center environment. You still have these apps that haven't been innovated, but they've spent millions of dollars maybe up leveling their talent and trying to get to cloud. So what are you guys doing to like complete that sort of journey for them? Yeah, it's, um, it's 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 a great question and there's so there, every client is different so i, I don't want to give you the standard consulting answer yeah and I mean, this is not a gotcha, but, this is not but, a gotcha uh, right this is more just but, like i'm curious what we're doing to get there you know but um the there is this correlation we talked about around the more you move to cloud and the more you accelerate to cloud the more you get value from it if you've combined it with the right talent change and etc and so what we are seeing clients do more and more are, these these large transformational initiatives, which include comprehensively 
not just the migration to cloud. So yes, you have to accelerate your migration to cloud, but the reskilling of the uh, of our clients, um, comprehensive teams, not just IT, not just developers, not just infrastructure teams, but actually business owners to be able to to consume it. So we do combine this, and this is where I think we started this episode with you know consulting or do we have people that we loan to clients? We actually focus more on outcomes, right? So we're moving away from rates and 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 people because that's no longer what clients are looking for clients are looking for look i this is my current situation i have technical debt i'm partially in the cloud i've done the easy stuff i now need to move the the harder applications they're looking for these outcomes and so we partner with large hyperscalers to bring that total outcome to the clients and within that we bake in the talent transformation, right? All the training programs to reskill people. Um, if clients now have a gap, we'll often help them with that gap, whether it's an interim or a longer term term. But we first have to understand the gap and we focus on the outcome. Some clients are very advanced. Some clients have the technical skills that just need to figure out how do they do with a technical debt. Some clients have right the business elements, but they need the IT support. So it, it depends where we fill the gap, but the first and foremost has to be this model change and the talent transformation that we bake into this outcome. Dan, I don't know if you, you, you've seen other models work with our large clients. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, same thing, outcome-driven type of approach um, in terms of what we're actually going after at clients. I think if I, if I click down into security, just quickly because it's where I live and breathe, um, th there's a two in the box or three in the box model that I think has worked well. Um, the, the things I would say is foundational level understandings required, prerequisite to engineering and being successful. Otherwise, it's you've got a dependency on a consultant or some other organization um, that once the engagement, it, it still exists, you still have the gap. So foundation level understanding, um, pairing up um, in terms of joint delivery, so two in the box or three in the box model, you have your consultant doing X work, you've got somebody from your either business process side and from your tech side that are working alongside them, basically doing knowledge transfer, getting up to up to speed you know, in the context of what they're doing. Um, generally, we see blended teams, so there's just, there's mag support from an expert services standpoint for uh, most of our you know, really large deals. Um, there's that influence as well. And then just talent in general. Um, if you think about cyber, finding good cyber people is really hard. Find good cloud people is really hard. Put those two things together, and you know, sometimes I want to jump out the window. Um, but but really, one of the one of the one of the ways we've we've solved part of that is looking at the developer community. And so we earlier about you know how does this security function apply to development teams now? Take a developer, teach a developer security a much easier path, especially with all the automation, with infrastructure as code, with security as code, you know, really starting to, to, to increase in, in prominence in, in these large-scale deployments. Like the developer community, that mindset works really well within, within security. It's Teaching almost like it. you're removing the checkpoints and the sort of touch points that you might need to, tr you, you traditionally had where it was like, all right, I'm the dev, I'm handing it over to the, the DevOps team, the DevOps team's gonna work with the security teams and the virtualization team. Like you're removing all that because it's all an API in the same console. Yeah, you create the pipelines and 
just kind of let them go at this point. So Dan, I have yep. 20 years of uh, security experience, I'm cloud and I'm developer. So should I come work for you? Is that what you're trying to say? Is that what you? I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give it right back to you. I think every I think every episode ends up with uh, one of us saying, "Huh, we should uh, you know, consider our employment." No, maybe, maybe uh, we should- I see you're you're lining up your future careers in case this doesn't work out for you guys. That's right. That's right. Um, so the, the last question I kind of want to end on more on a, a fun question would just be like, so we've talked a lot about technology. I think we've been pretty overarching, maybe umbrella type of conversation, but I'm just curious, like what, what is happening in the cloud space that excites you guys? Right. I mean, like if, if I hate, you know, I hate to have you guys be nitty gritty, but like what is happening in the public cloud? Maybe give us a security example. You know, Tristan, you, you have a, a bunch of examples you to give, but like, what's something real that, um, you're being asked about that, you know, your, your CEOs are saying, Hey, we, this is what we should be doing next. Right. Um, just to get, get maybe ground this conversation as we head out towards the, uh, the end of the, the, the episode. Yeah. The, uh, what I'm, I mean, I'm personally super excited about the constant innovation. I mean, these hyperscalers are releasing microservices and new capabilities every week. And, and now, so, and that's been going on for a while. So now we're starting to shift to industry specific capabilities. Um, you think in, in healthcare, you have some services that are truly accelerating research for healthcare, curing cancer, things like that. I think we've seen, um, we've seen capabilities to connect to satellites, right? I mean, AWS launched those a couple of years back. I'm so glad you said that. That's what I was thinking in the back of my head. I think, uh, Azure just announced too, that they can connect to Starlink. Right. So that's right. In, in order to get around these like geographical border border issues, they just put a, you know, a thing in their data center. And it's like, well, we're bypassing the borders. Right. You're not landing in our country. You're landing in the data center instead. And there you are. And not just make any jealous. I'll, I'll, I'll mention Google, the, the third one. Right. They have this this big announcement with um, with SpaceX. So you, you're starting to see really this is the future and they're connecting. So now if you're a user of the cloud, you can connect to this stuff. You're there, right? You have access instantly to that, but you have to be on the platform to do that. And 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 the future is just, you know, I think there's there's uh, now APIs to to quantum computing. I'm personally super excited about the the potential business problems we're going to solve with with quantum uh, linked by cloud. So I think the pace of innovation to me those um, I, I love astrophysics a little bit as a as a side hobby so those interconnectivity are personally very very interesting and we're seeing for for the industry a lot of business implications to it then yeah so so two quick examples first first one in health um kind of an extension of what tristan said so cloud at the center of it large-scale data analytics that's a collaboration between a healthcare entity and a research organization um, historically, it took them 12 to 18 months, literally, to get in data agreements. So data classification, data handling, data protection, data destruction. What does all that mean? 18 months before they can actually exchange any data. So extending capabilities on top of cloud, like privacy, preserving computational techniques, which is basically like multi-party compute. How can I share my model with a university that they can enrich that model. That model learns. They give me the model back. I never see their data. They never see my data. Everybody wins. Wow. So that, that's one example. And it's just, it's crazy the way it's changing the pace at which they can do that. The other one is a, a resources. So oil and gas client. 
Um, there, so health and life safety, big issue for them. COVID, lack of travel, low personnel, another issue for them. Um, they're using unmanned drones, which I guess most drones are unmanned. Anyway, they're using <laughs> drones. <laughs> they're using drones to look at um, rigs, well, offshore rigs, to, to basically scan the infrastructure on that rig, send the telemetry from that rig to measure in this case. Stuff goes through event hubs, stuff goes to a data lake, they do analysis on a data lake, they say, okay, we see that this sensor is at this point, the temperature is at this point, we see that there's um, there's vibration on the rig at this, which means we've got preventative maintenance that we need to do on these three points. And so they're not still up on scaffolding on this rig to monitor and write down on paper all this stuff. They're using drones to do this. Same thing with causeways, looking for hazards on causeways, same resources clients use drones to do that. Some of this stuff is like competitive sensitive geolocation stuff in terms of where they're drilling. And so they have to secure all that. So it's just, Never would they have imagined being able to do that before cloud. So let me let me ask yeah. one last question then. So I work for this little company called Cisco, and we have uh, yeah we have this product called Intersight that is private cloud. So what do you think about you know porting more of these? I don't want to say porting, but like creating more services or or providing a lot of this stuff on prem for the. I guess some of the advantages, data locality, some of it is financial, some of it is whatever. You still use hybrid cloud, but do you th still think there's a place? And the, and I'd like your honest answer for this. Do you still think there's a 100%. place for all this? Yeah, a hundred percent. There's 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 no doubt, right? So, um, first, we we think every client is going to be a multi hybrid cloud uh, client. There's very 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 few clients that will be a hundred percent public, and there's there's real advantages to to a hybrid footprint, I think you mentioned, you know, uh, geographically close. I mean, you have some latency issues. You have edge computing where you you want to be able to process the data that Dan's talking about at the site, not having to go back into the cloud, process the data, then ship it back. Yeah, and, we haven't even talked about the cost of the networking cost, right? The, the yeah, networking cost, all of that. And, yep, and, yeah. and so every client will be multi-hybrid cloud. In fact, somebody shared with me the other day, we should think of applications that we develop as applications that can live on any cloud. And today, we think of cloud as maybe the three hyperscalers plus some private. Tomorrow, the cloud could be your car, right? You could yeah. be building an application that lives in your car, that lives in your fridge, that lives, uh, you know, that's, and we have to build things that can exist regardless of the cloud. Every client is going to be multi-cloud. And that is going to be a trend that stays, uh, especially with the proliferation of edge and, and et cetera. So, no, there's definitely a very strong place for, for private, and we don't see that, that going away anytime soon. Yeah, and to, get to, to your point, I mean, applications to me, the, the, the true cloud-native application should be able to run anywhere. It should matter where, and you should be able to move them around. It shouldn't make a difference. It should, you should have pieces right. that, as long as you have the same back ends, they should be able to move anywhere. Yeah, yeah correct. Super, super quick example. Um, same financial institution that, that uh, shifted all their dev under under AppTech. They uh, they wrote well. They they, they leverage the APIs internally sure. in the private cloud. So when they, when they wanted to migrate those to public cloud, they just basically point, repoint as endpoints to AWS instead of their on. It was, I mean, just so simple. But but something that they designed in ahead of time, sensibility, and it was it was such an easy 
migration. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because I used to represent a product that um, its claim to fame was application profiles. It was, you know, I don't know what one, this product is. Yeah, one profile, multiple different clouds. And to me, it's like, let's flip that model on the head. It should just be one application, right? It shouldn't be one profile. It should be the application and it should yeah. just work across your environments. Um, so no, that's a, that's a good way, I think, to, to wrap up the conversation. You guys have been excellent guests. Uh, just a quick opportunity for either of you guys. I know we'll have some links in the call to action uh, or some call to action links in the show notes. Um, but anything that you guys want to mention at the, at the very end, maybe LinkedIn or, or Twitter handles, um, so on and so forth. I mean, I'll just I'll just highlight that again. The cloud journey is more than a technology journey, and has to be all encompassing and be be focused on outcomes. And and I do want to remind all this audience that of Andrew's Twitter handle of Nubexus thirteen. Um, you know, before we so please uh, please follow Andrew. My, my goal is to accumulate the largest possible uh, you know number of followers without actually having an active Twitter feed. You know, just see how many people can I just gravitate you know gravitate to this handle that i don't use especially because mike doesn't have access to twitter right now actually i just got it back after oh I so my head starts going away yeah yeah so i mentioned it in my last uh cloud unfiltered that that i don't have access to twitter and that i got cut off because of my bot storm uh anyway but that's besides the point uh and uh and the next day i was back on so oh, I there don't, you go I'm not saying it was our show that Twitter listens, but I'm just going to say. <laughs> uh, anything from you, Dan? Closing thoughts? Uh, you know, I'll just I'll I'll plug another uh, little uh, little quip. It's uh, it's the security is like washing your hands, right? right? Like you just it's a continual process. It's something that you have to do every all the time. And if we um, learned and anything it, in 2020, wash your damn hands, right? <laughs> so yeah, integrate early and often. Great. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Um, you know, this has been a great episode and, and we would love to have you guys back on in another sure. three to six months to see how things have changed even more after yeah. uh, the, the the new new normal, right, is um, is established. So I love it. Thank you for hosting us. Really great conversation. I had a blast and we'll see you guys in six months. All right. Sounds great. Take care, All guys. Right.